Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verses 16 and following. As you're turning there, pray with me. Lord, I pray this morning as we open up the Word of God, that Holy Spirit, as we talk about you, that your manifest presence would be here, leading us, guiding us into all truth, coming alongside, providing comfort and strength, drawing us to the name of Jesus, empowering your people with your presence, Lord, that we may walk in who you are so that the, the fruit of that continual relationship with you would be manifest. Open our eyes today to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome everyone. If you're new to fullness, we're glad that you are here. You dropped in uh, on uh, really toward the last third of a series we're doing on the Apostles' Creed. For those of you who've been coming all 11 weeks, I'm sorry that I review every single week, but I think it's important, and maybe we'll all get it uh, as I I review. And if you're new, it'll help you step in. So just bear with me for one second as I I repeat this, that uh, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, as we've been studying it, only draws its authority from the Word of God. It is not an authoritarian or authoritative statement in and of itself. It draws its authority because the truths contained in the Apostles' Creed are actually biblical truths. And the Apostles' Creed also is one of the oldest, as Gabriel said this morning when we started and quoted it together. It is one of the oldest creeds or one of the oldest statements that we know that the early church said together. It predates what would be known as the establishment of the formal church, the Catholic church. Though the term I know Catholic is used in the statement, the word Catholic there doesn't mean formal structured church. It means the universal church. We'll study that next week. That's next week's statement, the Holy Catholic Church. But the point being, it's been said by believers since really somewhere in the mid-100s, we know. As early as 200 AD, we have the earliest writings in which the Apostles' Creed is documented as a baptismal statement. We've been studying the creed because uh, just to kind of tie us in with, with believers throughout history and believers today around the world who make this statement of really the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed are quoted more within the context of the church itself than any other, other statements that the church generally says together. We have been looking at the Apostles' Creed because we believe it helps us in spiritual formations. If indeed, as we've studied, it was used as a baptismal confession, then one of the things that the earliest believers, right when they came to know the faith and were being baptized, they stated it together because these are fundamental, these are foundational beliefs of the people of God. So it helps us, assists us in spiritual formation. It brings balance to our life. If you look, hopefully you got a bulletin when you came in, a worship folder, and in there is, are some sermon notes, and on the front of the sermon notes are the Apostles' Creed. And as you look at it and, and just go down it, it, it contains many statements about the variety of beliefs in the, in the church, in who we are as believers, because any one of us, 
is in danger of falling out of balance. There are certain things we like. Some people like the creation story. Some people like the end time story. Some people love to uh, take apart the book of Daniel and the 70 weeks. And some people, get, some people just get enamored with certain aspects of the Christian life. And all of it is good from, from uh, prayer to the prophetic, from worship to um, the wonder of God's glory and walking in nature. It's all great. But, but the Apostles' Creed helps bring balance to our lives in that it says, hey, here, here's a variety of statements so that we don't get bogged down or in a ditch only focused on one element. It also helps create uh, the desire for community. By that I mean, if indeed believers have stated this from the beginning of the church until now, all throughout history, it tie, and they're saying it today, it ties us together universally across the world believers are making these statements of faith together it creates the desire for both local community and for community in general and it helps direct our steps i believe i believe belief matters because as we've said over and over and over throughout the years, you act upon what you believe to be true. You act upon what you believe to be true. There's a difference between intellect and knowledge, knowing a fact and belief. Belief gets down in your heart. Belief permeates who you are, and you act upon what you believe to be true. Correspondingly, you can also tell what you don't really believe because you're not acting upon it. In other words, within the church, we say things like, oh, I believe in prayer. Great, how much you pray? Well, never. I don't pray. You know, mealtime, times like that. When things are desperate, I pray. But you know what? You don't really believe in prayer. You know what I mean? You don't really think it's going to make a difference. You believe maybe prayer matters for other people, or maybe you might believe that prayer matters within the context of a spiritual discipline that makes us look better in God's sight. But if you really believed that you had access to the very throne room of God, you'd act upon it. You act upon it. So it directs our steps. If, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what does that, what does that really look like? That's the statement we're going to take apart today. And really, I've preached entire series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, just hang on. Hang on. we got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. We're a church that says we fully embrace the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 100% of both. 100% of the Word of God, 100% of the power and presence of the Spirit of God, fully embracing those two truths. This is an important message for us, not just as individual believers, but God's empowering presence, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, will change the direction, the course of your Christian existence. You see, you can either live the Christian life in and of your own strength, out of your own might, out of your own power, and be forever frustrated. 
Or you can live the Christian life as God intended, and that's with his empowering presence directing you. I mean, the choice is yours. Too often we relegate the person of the Holy Spirit to the one who brings sign gifts. Oh, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to bring sign gifts, prophecy, tongues, you know, all the sign gifts. Yeah, but that to relegate him to that minor role, I think, is to, is to um, do him a great injustice. He is the spirit of truth. He is God's empowering presence by whom we live our Christian lives now. And so I want to look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this. It's kind of an illustrative, and it's going to seem bizarre uh, to even go this direction, but I I, I do have a point, I hope. Uh, At least one good one here. Um, I graduated from high school in 1976. Anybody know what the number one song in 1976 was? Popular song? Right, so good, good guess, but no. <laughs> Craig, Craig is, Craig is going to keep going. <laughs> one guess per person. Anybody else? <laughs> no, past the Beatles, past the Elvis. Mozart was done by now too, so yeah, it was a little later than that. It was actually what? Elton John would have been a good guess from that period. Actually, the number one song when I graduated from high school was Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, let me, let me just say, let me just say, I do not endorse the lifestyle of Queen. Uh, I just want to make it clear in this illustration, I'm not endorsing the lifestyle of any rock band. We, here's the point. When, when I was graduating from high school, um, First of all, they didn't play Bohemian Rhapsody on the radio much because it's really long. And so they tried to keep songs during... The other, the number two song or the debate is uh, I Want to Fill the World with Silly Love Songs. Who that? Uh, that was... Uh, it was Paul McCartney and Wings, uh, Silly Love Song. Anyway, the difference between Silly Love Songs and Bohemian Rhapsody is massive. It's like a big gap in pop music. As a matter of fact... Bohemian Rhapsody was so out of the box, no one knew what to to do with the song. But but they played it and became the number one song, became very popular. Now, here's my point. When when, um, I I remember in high school listening to some DJs argue and say this, can you imagine 20, 30, 40 years from now coming to your high school reunion and them saying, what was the number one song when you graduated? Bohemian Rhapsody. They just laughed. They thought it was hysterical. They said, no one's going to remember this song in five years. We are, you know, in the 90s, Rolling Stone listed it as one of the top five most influential songs of all time. In case you didn't know, and I do not recommend movies, and I'm sure not going to recommend you go see this one. There's one coming out on this called Bohemian Rhapsody about Queen. Freddie Mercury died of AIDS in around 2000 sometime, the lead singer for Queen. You can put together points from there if you want to. The year after Queen came out with Bohemian Rhapsody, they were doing these concerts and their songs had gotten so complex and they were really innovative for rock and roll stuff. And 
And they came back and they said, hey, let's make a song that the people can sing at the end of a concert. Let's just do an easy song that people can sing together. And so they came up with a song that actually had no background music at all. But everywhere you went in the 80s and 90s, if someone started doing this, the whole stands would break out and they would start singing exactly. We will, we will rock you. And they would follow it up with, we are the champions, my friend. I mean, it would go from one song right into the other. And now, I, I, I dare you, I dare you to get those songs out of your head this afternoon. <laughs> they have within them what people in the music industry will call an earworm. Later today, you're going to be like, we You'll be doing the dishes, you'll be doing something, and that song will be stuck in your head, and you'll be, I, I, Pastor Bart. What? How do you get that song out of your head? I can tell you, the only way to get that song out of your head is by thinking about another song. The more you try to not think about that song, the more you're going to think about it. And I should have used this at the end of the sermon because I know for the rest of the day, this time you're going to be thinking of Queen. Here's my point. Some of us have locked in our heads a bad belief about the person of the Holy Spirit. You were taught something. Someone tried to force something on you. You were, you were, demonst- you were raised in a church that said, he, he, beware. You start messing with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be, end up like one of them people. Or you're one of them, came into that church, and somebody tried to say, look, you got to, the only way, the way the Holy Spirit works is you got to get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then you got to speak in tongues. And they started making you repeat phrases after them, trying to get you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and all other manner of things concerning the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, we fully embrace the person of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to go back to, I want to go back to the fundamental about him, the person of the Holy Spirit, just for a moment, to remind us of, before we get off into the sign gifts and all of that, which are very important, again, we fully embrace that all the sign gifts are still available today. I'd like to look first of all, at what one member of the Trinity says about another member of the Trinity. Here's what Jesus says. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This passage in John 14, you could go on and study more 
of what Jesus says about the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and so just a couple of statements real quickly. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. Too often we refer to and people refer to the Holy Spirit has a kind of a presence or a thought or an idea or an it. George Barna did a, a survey a couple of years ago in which he surveyed 2,000, almost 2,000 self-described Christians. These are people who call themselves evangelical Christians about their perception of God. A lot of different statements within there, but 58% either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with the statement that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but he is not a living entity. 58% of evangelical Christians that he surveyed believed that he's a symbol or a sign, but not a him, not a person. <clears throat> the person of the Holy Spirit matters. The world cannot accept him, but we have to. If we really want to live the Christian life like we're supposed to, we need to, to receive him. We experience, now listen to this, we experience the life of God now through the person of the Holy Spirit. Really, this is very important. You experience the life of God now, however you experience it, through the person of the Holy Spirit. This age, this time, Jesus said, I'm going to go. We looked at a couple of weeks ago. He went bodily into heaven, right? Where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Again, this is really critical. This is fundamental to our faith that there is a risen, ascended, bodily Jesus in heaven. A resurrection body, I, whatever difference we don't know all that entails, but he is in heaven. And though I receive Jesus into my heart, who is the one that comes and fills me now? Well, Jesus is bodily at the right hand of God the Father. Who we receive now is the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, my story is one in which I was raised in a very, very Bible-believing, warm home, loved God, loved people, but I was never really taught about the Holy Spirit. And I reached a point in my Christian existence where, where I was incredibly frustrated. I reached a point where I was like, I'm doing every single thing people have ever told me to do to live the Christian life, and I am totally miserable. I'm a high moral person, however I defined it, but by, by, by Baptist standards, I was doing, you know, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't sleeping around, I wasn't, you know, the, I wasn't dancing much. And um, so, you know, things that Baptists say that holy people do. <laughs> and I was miserable, miserable, until I came to the realization and the point that I was living the Christian life out of my own strength, my own might, my own power, and that I was never intended to. And when I opened myself up to say, God's empowering presence, the person of the Holy Spirit, it, it forever altered my Christian life. 
Let me just say this. I, when I prayed, God, I give myself to you. I, I know I was already a follower of Jesus Christ. I was in my 20s. I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I had given my life to him. I'd, I'd studied um, music and theology in order to work in a church. I'd given my life to serve him. It wasn't a matter of salvation. It was a matter of how, how, how does this go forward? I mean, I know that if I had died, I'd have gone to heaven. But the problem was the life now that I was struggling with. Let's look at this passage out of Galatians. I want to take it apart very quickly and give you some ideas about what it means to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to pray for each other. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you probably should underline that. By the way, you know, if you keep thinking, man, I'm battling. Yeah, you're battling. It's a conflict. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Somebody at some point should shout hallelujah that I'm not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. <laughs> I love the way Paul writes. I'm not going to stay here long because we'd be here way too long. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, but just in case they're not, I'm telling you what they are. Here we're going to list some of them. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I, I'm running out of space here, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Think about your life. If you had to just kind of give a running summary of how you're doing today, who are you walking with? How is your life being lived? Now, this could quickly... Here's the problem we have with this entire passage and this entire truth. This could quickly digress in the law. Because I could say to you, hey, you live in a holy life? How's your, how's your thought life? What'd you do yesterday? What'd you watch? What'd you drink? What'd you eat? What'd you say? What'd you do? And condemnation is going to just jump on you. I am just so bad. I'm so worthless. And Paul is not saying that. He's not saying, look. He's, matter of fact, what he's saying is the opposite. So I could, I know I'm not even talking in sentences, so it's kind of hard to pick up my idea right now. <laughs> 
The thought is this. If I get up here and tell you to try harder to not sin, it's going to be like me telling you to get, we will rock you out of your head. You can't do it. You can't live that life. Next thing you know, you're going to be a law person. And the problem with law people trying, making your life miserable, is you're going to make everybody else's life miserable as well. Because you're going to project that law-abiding stuff onto everybody else around you. And you're going to judge people by whether they do or don't do the rules that you see dictated. Instead, he's saying, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. How do we do that? He, Paul, again, another passage in Ephesians, sort of a sister passage, really says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That's me. I want to I, I be wise. I don't want to be unwise. I want to make the most of every opportunity because I know these days they're bad. They're evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Okay, I'm, I'm for that one too. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to be foolish. I want to understand what the Lord's will. I don't want to get drunk on wine with leads to debauchery. Instead, here's what you do. Don't drink. Read as much as you can. Devour every book. Don't go to this movie. Whatever you do, do not listen to Queen. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. No, here's what you do. Be filled with the Spirit. How am I going to do all these things? I'm going to do them by God's empowering presence in my life. And this passage really is saying, instead, be being filled with the Spirit of God. Every moment of every day, let God's empowering presence overwhelm your life. You know, I could stop, I think, right here and just give an invitation and say, who needs to be filled with the Spirit? And we would all say, yes. Fill me afresh and anew. I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this in my own might. I want your power and your presence in my life. And as I go forward, giving you some points on how you're filled with the Spirit and what we're to do, please just don't get far away from this. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the call of our lives. And please try and put away the misconceptions Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the bad song out of your head and put the truth, replace it with another song. The song of God's heart for you as a follower of Jesus Christ, that he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God's gifts are good. Amen? All right, here's, let me just take apart this passage in Galatians. There's three points. First is this. If I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I need to walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Here's what Paul says. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. People, this should be freeing to us. Live by the Spirit, and I won't. So he's not saying, don't gratify the sinful nature in order to try and live by the Spirit. Are you with me? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. We think, oh, well, then i got to keep my commands in order to get him to love me. No, no, no. He's saying, if you love me, Jesus is, you'll keep my commands. It's going to be part of the relationship. You're going to want to do this. Be filled with the Spirit, and you won't want to gratify the sinful nature. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's this picture here of continuing fellowship with the Spirit of God. The term walking here is a way of life. Not for us, right? He, he, he should say, like, drive with the Spirit. I don't know. Something more. For us, y'all didn't think that was as funny as I did, but we don't really walk much. I mean, we're not a walking society. I, 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 I changed my mind. I decided to show you pictures of my vacation. So from those of you here last week, you'll get it. So I went on a long walk. I mean, what is a hike, really, but a long, hard walk? So I went on a hike with Adam uh, about three weeks ago, 20 miles. Yes, I'm bragging. Uh, through, the, um, through the Grand Tetons. And so I, I decided to show you some pictures of our walk together. It was spectacular. I mean, the scenes, every turn, every part of it was incredible. Let me tell you the best part of this was spending eight and a half hours with my son. Above all else, there's no way, no, 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 no way I'm getting Adam to sit down and talk to me 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, really, he's just not built that way. He's, he's, he's got too much energy. The only way he's going to talk to me 15 minutes is if he needs something from me. <laughs> but as far as, like, conversations about life... They're not going to happen. But on an eight-and-a-half-hour hike, you're talking about everything. You know, life, friends, future, destiny, relationships, God. To me, I, I would fall over. You know, people are like, well, how did you do the 20 miles? I did it because I wanted to spend eight hours with my son. Those moments are really precious. And they don't come along that often. Listen, the idea is this. Walk with the Spirit. He's with you every single moment. He, he's not some, his presence is not some mystery undefined. He wants to make his home within you. I had some guests in my house a couple of weeks ago. They, they were from Albania. Great friends. I mean, really, they're, they're very close and Really enjoyed our time together there. We were there for about three days. But the difference between guest and cohabitator is massive. You understand? If someone lives in my home, that's way different than a guest. The Holy Spirit is to have his home within you, to reside in you. He's not a, he's not a guest in you. He, he, he's to take up residence in your life. And as a result, then you walk with him. He's a dweller in your life. And, you know, if you don't get any other point here today, this is going to make the difference. This is going to put you on the path to say, I, I, want, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want his home to be in my life. I want him to dwell. I want to dwell richly in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, being directed by Him every moment of every day. Walk with the Spirit. Second point is this. One of the ways this happens is 
Avoid the pull of the sin nature. And you're like, wait a minute. This seems to be backing up into legalism. And I don't think it is. I think there is this pull. Here's what Paul says, and I'm not going to take it totally apart, just highlight it and then move forward. But he says, the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from the conflict. Oh, how I wish that when I get, got saved, and the Bible does say this, that the old Bart died. Well, I did, but he keeps trying to jump back up. You know what I mean? He, there's this pull of this nature that tries to keep pulling me back. And I, I, if, honestly, if I try to fight it in and of myself, I'm going to lose. But instead, the power of the Spirit frees me. Frees me from that. You might be thinking, well, how? How does it free you? It frees me because His power is greater. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. His power is greater. So how am I going to fight this sin nature that's constantly trying to drag me back? Walk with the Spirit. Focus on my life with the Spirit. Does that mean I'll never sin again? No. No. I'm going to sin. But the difference is, he's saying, you're either walking in the sin nature... You're walking over here in these sinful desires or you're walking with the Spirit. It's not a either or. I, I'm, I can still be walking with the Spirit and occasionally sin. Hard to believe, but yes. That's part of what happens in our lives because we are not perfectly sanctified. We're not perfectly holy in the way we live. There are times where we get drawn back in. But Paul is saying, look, if you're walking in this sin nature all the time, you're not of the Spirit. He's, he's not condemning and saying you've got to get... He's just saying, look, you've got to get... Avoid the pull of the sin nature. How? By walking with the Spirit. You're in one stream or the other. You can't be in both at the same time. Now, this, I'm trying to say this in a freeing way, not a condemning way. I'm trying to say it... Not in, oh, sinners, repent. Get your life in order, you heathens, kind of thing. You know, God hates those who sin and hold up signs. That's lifeless to me. The life comes by saying this, walk by the power of the Spirit. Avoid the pull that's going to come at you all the time. By how? Don't focus on it. Focus on Him. Focus on your walk with the Spirit. President Calvin Coolidge was one of the like least verbal presidents. He was known for having like being a man of few words. And he went to a he went to a, a service one time, and afterwards he was asked by a friend, "What did the preacher preached on?" And the pre and Calvin Coolidge, who very said very little, said he preached on sin. And, and the guy said was trying to pull it out of him. Like, well, what did he say? He was against it. That's kind of, okay, that's the way we are, yeah. I focus on sin. 
Why focus on what we, I, I mean, there's no reason for me to stand up here and tell you what you're doing wrong. You know what you're doing wrong. You know, I mean, it's just condemning. Instead, I want to say to you, focus on the power and life of the Spirit. He'll change everything about who you are. Don't, and in doing this, you, you don't get to determine what is right. Hello? In other words, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of truth. Truth comes from Him. Truth is not malleable. Truth is not something that just is situational. Truth is truth, is truth because He's the Spirit of truth, you, not you, or not any other person. That's Willie Nelson. And I guarantee you, you never thought you're going to see a picture of Calvin Coolidge and Willie Nelson next to each other. Or you, maybe you did, and you really are prophetic. Willie Nelson, uh, he, he, he's a character. He built his own golf course. And he said, the greatest thing about building your own golf course is you can determine what par is for every hole. And he was talking to a reporter one time, and he was telling him this, and he said, you know what? I love owning my own golf course for that very reason. He said, see that, see that hole over there? That's a par 47. <laughs> he said, yesterday I birdied it. <laughs> yeah, that's the way we are with life. We just say, okay, I'm going to determine truth. I'm going to determine what's right. I'm going to determine if this lifestyle or that lifestyle is right based on my own personal level of happiness in our society. Instead, walk with the Spirit. Let Him lead and guide you into all truth and avoid the pull of anything that's not this, that's not walking in truth and life. Third point is this. Realize the law of the harvest. Realize the law of the harvest. Again, in this passage, and it all has to do with the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against those things there is no law. What, what is he saying? He, by saying there is no law, He's saying when, the, when you're walking with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested in your life, law doesn't matter. You don't need a law because this is what the aim is anyway. I, I, you don't have to tell you, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Why? Because you're walking in the Spirit and this fruit of the Spirit is being manifest. Now, if I was to say to you, Quit doing this. Ah, let's just make up something. Quit lying. Quit being a liar. Quit telling untruths. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love more. Do you know my hope for you to stop lying and love more is like, I've done enough counseling to know me telling people what to do is like a total waste of time. Now, if they did do what I tell them to do, their lives would be so much better. <laughs> I mean, really. I can, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty well figure out most other people's lives pretty quick. 
I could tell them what to stop doing, what to do, and then, you know, really, their life would not be perfect, but it would be better. I'm being facetious, but the problem is we can't stop doing. Paul says it like this. The things I know to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, want to do, I keep doing. Who's going to free me from this law of sin and death? Thanks be to God. Life in the Spirit, there's no condemnation. So he's saying, living by the Spirit will bring a harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Over in Galatians 6, just in case we think we don't get it, he gives us the harvest law. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sin nature is going to reap what? He's going to reap that destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The law of the harvest cannot be circumvented. It can't be. It's going to happen. It's woven into the fabric of creation order. It is this, and he goes on and says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. The law of the harvest is basically this. You always reap what you sow. If you want to sow, if you want to, if you want to receive love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things, then you can't sow to the sinful nature because you're always going to get, if, you're going to, if you want apples at home, you're not going to plant carrots, right? I mean, it doesn't work that way. We know in our head it doesn't work that way. But in life, we think, you know what? If I keep watching television all the time, I'm going to reap a harvest of money. No, you're not. Go, you know, you, you can go drive to Georgia and buy as many lottery tickets as you want, and you're not going to reap a bunch of money. But I'm not speaking against the lottery. I'm just saying you always reap what you sow. Here's another principle. You always reap more than you sow. It's part of that. You're going to reap a harvest well, what do you want to harvest of is the question. What do you want to harvest of? And, by the way, you always reap after you sow. You don't get to reap before you sow. You reap afterwards. If you do not give up in due time, you're going to... Whole another sermon on the law of the harvest. The point being this. You have the opportunity to walk in a Christian existence now. When, when, when I think of the prosperity doctrine and it all comes down to money, I go nuts. I mean, really, I get all worked up. But to me, this is prosperity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. This is living the prosperous life. How do I live this life? I do it by walking with the Spirit, avoiding the pull of the sin nature, not giving up. In the, in the Melanesian Islands during World War II, you've probably heard of these cargo cults, as they're called. If not, let me give you the story real quick. 
these islanders living in the islands, never seeing anything technological or whatever. World War II breaks out. We need bases to, on which to land planes and do stuff. U.S. Navy moves in, clears out landing strips, builds a tower, satellite dishes, mans it. The next thing, planes start landing and unloading stuff. Now, the islanders in their head, somehow they get it that, you know what? These people, they came in, they cleaned this place out, they made lights, they built this tower, and when they did, all of a sudden this stuff starts dropping out of the sky. So, when the war was over, the planes quit coming, the islanders thought, you know what, we got to get this stuff going again. So they started building their own satellite dishes their own towers, their own runways. They started lighting them and then waiting for it to come. These cargo cults still go on in the Melanesian islands where they build things out of straw and really it became a worship in and of itself. Now we, we sit back and in our arrogance, we laugh. But then... We say, you know what, if I go to church, if I, could, if I just go to church, if I just give some money, if I just do this activity or that activity or this thing or that thing, then God is going to, he's going to come. We're like those islanders. We don't understand that it is all part of the relationship. We don't do those things in order to get God come. We come, he's already come, and he's here in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we receive Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we do those things out of the relationship. They're like the cargo that starts coming. Do, do you understand the point? We have to get back into this living, vital relationship with God, and we do it by the person of the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if you start thinking, okay, here's what i got to do. Well, first of all, you just messed up already. Right? I mean, if you think, i got to read my Bible more. i got to pray more. i got to do this more. i got to do that more. i got to do this more. i got to do that more so that the plane will land and unload the goodness stuff. No, you... You've got to be in relationship with him, and it all comes by the person of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're walking with the Spirit in relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, voiding the pull of the sin nature will, will become easier and harder at the same time. And then we'll experience in time the law of the harvest. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Here's, here's one of the reasons, because you are incompetent. Paul says he wasn't competent. <clears throat> we don't like the word incompetent, but we're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from where? comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but what? 
of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. My whole message today is, is this. Don't relegate the person of the Holy Spirit to just the bringer of the sign gifts. He is so much bigger. He is here to give us life. He is here to lead us into this glorious Christian existence that Christ has redeemed us for. And the life we live now is not of ourselves. It is by the Spirit. I want to give you opportunity if you just need to be refreshed today. And by refreshed, I mean this, to say, you know what? In faith, I receive this message that I need to walk by the Spirit of God. I need to walk by the power of the Spirit. And, and, and don't, don't, I'm going to ask you to come to the front if you want me to pray for you and to have our, someone from our ministry teams come and lay hands on you and pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. That's what we're going to do just during this time. Craig and the team is going to come up and lead us in worship. I'm going to pray for you. Don't feel obligated like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I could always use more refreshing of the Spirit. We, we all could. But I'm saying if you're here today and you know, I mean, you really know, you need the power of the Spirit in your life that you're at a place of desperation, you got to get going here, and you want to walk with him, then come to the front, and we're going to pray for you. So while I pray, just move to the front. We're going to have teams come and pray for you. Craig and the team is going to lead us in worship as we do. Lord, I pray right now. Everyone stand up. Sorry. Everyone stand up if you want, if you want prayer to be filled afresh and anew with the power of the Spirit this morning. Just come and stand on the front. And if anybody on the worship team, you need to sit out and get prayer, feel free. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are coming right now that, God, you would just touch and move. That, Spirit of God, you would draw those to your own name, to your own person. We, we know that you're not getting glory for yourself, that you're doing this to bring glory to the name of Jesus. But at the same time, we want to acknowledge that we live our Christian lives by the power of your presence now. So, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Holy Spirit, come. And fill us afresh and anew. We, we can all acknowledge that we need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. For, but for those who are standing here right now, Holy Spirit, break through in their lives. Come, Spirit of truth, Spirit of grace, come right now. If you want prayer, just come on. Ministry teams, come now and begin to pray for these people. There's oil here, and oil in the New Testament is a sign of the Spirit of God. It's, it's not magic oil. There's nothing supernatural about the oil. It's just a symbolic representation of the, of the Spirit of God. And so they're going to anoint you with oil and just pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. Ministry teams, there's oil here at the front. Uh, if you just need to get a, a handful of oil, just anoint uh, people. Craig, lead us uh, softly as we, as, as people receive prayer right now. Wait.